They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is Next Gen On Mission with Shane Pruitt and Paul Wooster. Hey friends, Shane Pruitt here, National Next Gen Director for the North American Mission Board. And always with me is my brother, my co-host, Paul Wooster, our National Collegiate Director. And today is a very special episode of the Next Gen on Mission podcast that we want to share with you. Uh, we did a webinar with J.D. Greer. And so, Paul, would you tell us about that webinar? Oh, yeah, man. I'm super stoked for this one. that We're going to get to share this with our podcast audience as well. It's called Creating Ascending Culture. And we talked to J.D. Greer, Todd Unzucker, Wes Smith, the college pastor of Summit Church, and they have seen just a movement of God of sending, of multiplying. They, they've sent out over 1,000 college students to give two years to the mission of God. And so they have systems and strategies. And so we kind of dig in to the inspirational side of things, but also the practical how-to side. So it's going to be really helpful for anyone that wants to see this generation mobilized with the gospel. And I think if we don't mobilize this generation we won't reach the next generation. Absolutely, Paul. And we had well over 400 leaders that were a part of this webinar, but we wanted to also share it with our podcast family. So we hope you enjoy it, share it with others, and let's dive right in. We are so honored that you're joining us today. You know, when we uh, thought about this webinar uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, and started planning it, we were like, it'd be great to get 100 uh, maybe 150 leaders on with us, and uh, we have brought at 500 collegiate leaders that have registered for this event. So we're so excited about this. We have some of, uh, I feel, some of the greatest leaders um, in the nation to speak on this very thing of creating ascending culture. We'll be introducing some of those along the way, and like I said, some of the most strategic leaders uh, we know. So today we also we have Pastor J.D. Greer with us, uh, who is the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, lead pastor of Summit Church, uh, incredible author, including uh, a new book that he has just released uh, not very long ago that you'll actually get as a free copy for being a part of this webinar. So we'll give you uh, instructions on how, on how to receive your free copy of uh, that book. Also, we have Wes Smith, who is the college pastor at Summit Church, Todd Unzucker, who is the associate pastor at Summit. And one of the reasons that we wanted to host this webinar is we want to be able to uh, in introduce you to some of the great things that we're doing at NAM in the next gen space. Uh, we are passionate and serious about next generation evangelism, and collegiate evangelism is one of our top priorities. And that is why when we came to a point where we are ready to hire a national collegiate evangelism director, um, I text several friends that uh, I have a relationship with that are college pastors, BCM directors, and I basically said, hey, who is someone that is super well-respected in campus-based ministry and church-based ministry? And uh, I text some of you that are actually on this webinar today. And uh, you responded with names, and Paul Wooster was on every single one of those lists. And most of them, he was at the top. So we are so excited to have Paul Wooster on our staff as the National Collegiate Evangelism Director. So Paul, I want to turn it over to you, my friend. Thanks, Shane. Man, I'm super pumped about this webinar, and I'm really excited 
to step into this role and serve the collegiate body of Christ across the nation. And as I've been talking with key leaders the last few weeks, I've been calling all the, a lot of the state directors and just, so if I'm going to be calling a lot of y'all just to get, get advice and dream together about how can we accelerate what God is already doing on campuses. And honestly, like, I really believe that we are on the cusp of what could be another Jesus movement. I think our generation needs a movement of God. I think we need another student volunteer movement where we're seeing, which JD will be sharing, just some of the things about the need to not only accept the gospel, but to, to be sent by, by Christ and to share the gospel. So our team at NAM, Shane and I and some others, we're going to be putting together a ton of reproducible tools, discipleship resources, a lot of content that's going to be coming your way. Um, and then events like this one, virtual events. And then we're even dreaming and talking to people about some in-person events that I pray will just add fuel to the fire of what God is already doing. I've really never been more encouraged by the vision that I see in collegiate leaders. Um, people, there's this fresh sense of camaraderie and unity really across the board in our nation. So whether that's campus-based, church-based, collegiate church planning, we've seen whatever it takes. If you're reaching students, we wanna be a part of it. We wanna, we wanna help, we wanna celebrate that and resource. So I'm available, Shane's available. We want to be a part of what you guys are doing. And a, a passage of scripture that has been on my heart that I felt led to share with you guys actually goes perfectly with what we're talking about. Um, it's Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And I know a lot of you have even given whole messages on this. So I actually want to pray um, that God will help us this entire session to, um, to really see things from a fresh perspective. So join me in praying really quick, everybody. Father, um, we come before you humbly, and we know that um, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so even this webinar, um, we know that you're not limited by technology, um, that your spirit can, can speak to our hearts. And so I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would help us to get a clear vision of what you want to do um, in our lives, in our ministries, and in the nations. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 9, 36 to 38, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And there's so much about that passage, but the, the thing that hit me is the compassion of Christ. It starts with compassion. The Greek word for compassion there actually literally means to be moved to your bowels. So it made Jesus sick to his stomach. Why? Because these people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that is true on our campuses and in the unreached, among the unreached around the world. Um, the average college campus in North America is 5% reached with the gospel. Campus Renewal Ministries did a, did a study. The average campus is 5% reached. And so think about your campus. If you're in collegiate ministry, man, think about the campus. And I wanna ask you, do you share the compassion of Christ for your campus? And a test is when was the last time that it made your stomach sick when you saw the thousands of students rushing to campus? When was the last time that you wept for your campus? 
I pray that we will gain a heart for Jesus and a heart for the campus. The next thing I see in this passage is the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> I love this. There's hope. The harvest is plentiful. Right now, I believe there are thousands of students that God is already working in. And the problem is not with the harvest, all right? <laughs> What's the problem? The problem is the lack of laborers. Man, there's nothing more urgent than that. There's nothing more urgent than the fact that there are thousands of people ready to respond to the gospel, and there is not people seeking to give that gospel to these people. God is moving. The, the problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. So our goal, I'm in, from Chico, California. <laughs> we have a simple goal in our ministry at Christian Challenge is just how many laborers can we raise up? And our goal is to take a student from lost to labor in one year. That's our goal. <laughs> we have a, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about leadership pipelines, and we're going to actually talk about that maybe a little bit today. But we have what I call a mini leadership pipeline, <laughs> where we take a student that comes to Christ as a freshman, and by the time they're a sophomore, they're ready to share Christ. And, and even over the summer, they make a faith goal where they pray every day, God, give me one person that I can lead to Christ and disciple this fall. And so we had about 70 students that prayed that prayer over the summer. And this past school year, we saw over 200 people make professions of faith in Christ. And so the problem is not with the harvest, okay? The problem is a lack of laborers. There's a direct connection to how many laborers we raise up and send out as a ministry and how big our impact is for God's kingdom. So my heart is that we would change the scorecard in collegiate ministry that our scorecard would not be how many people do you have at your college gathering, but instead our, our scorecard would be how many laborers do you have in your ministry? How many laborers have you sent out from your ministry? And that's our heart in NAM for the collegiate evangelism is to equip you to equip students to be laborers. And that's why I'm so pumped about this webinar. I'm stoked about it. Um, there is no church that I know of that does a better job of raising up and sending out laborers than Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. They've literally sent out over 1,000 college students around on strategic mission efforts around the world. They are the pioneers of the GoTo movement, which we'll, we'll be talking about in this webinar. And uh, I've become friends with JD, Pastor Todd Unzucker, and College Pastor Wes over the years. And I love just how sacrificial, generous they are with their ideas, their resources. So we're going to start from hearing from J.D. Greer for about 20 minutes. And he's going to share some things that God did in his life. You can read about some of that in the book, Gaining by Losing. It's required reading, in my opinion, if you're in, in church, vocational ministry, or collegiate ministry. Man, it is required reading. And then we're going to do some Q&A time with Todd, Associate Pastor Todd Unsicker and college pastor Wes Smith on the practicalities um, that comes behind the vision there. So I'm gonna, it's my honor to introduce my personal favorite speaker and one of my favorite speakers and authors, Pastor J.D. Greer. He's the pastor of Summit Church. He's the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Summit has a vision of planting 1,000 churches globally in this generation. And honestly, I think they're on pace to do it. Um, he's the author of some of my favorite books, including, I just read it, it's the book you're going to get for free, 
what are you going to do with your life? And man, it, it wrecked me. It was so encouraging. Um, JD, most importantly, is a husband, father of four children, and he has his PhD. I, I love this. The correlations between early church presentations of, go- of the gospel and Islamic theology. <laughs> I think I understand what that means. So he's smart, and he's got many leather-bound books right here behind him. <laughs> and it smells so, of rich mahogany. Yeah, it smells of rich mahogany. So, J.D., go ahead and take it away. Give us and your if you understand, if you understand that movie reference, you need to go repent. That's all we're going <laughs> to yeah, yeah, oh, no. I do. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, let me just say, uh, Paul, to you on behalf. First of all, that was like some of the nicest things people have ever said about me. I got a little, like, misty-eyed and started recording so I could show my wife later. Um, but not just because you said that, but Paul, let me tell you what a gift um, you are. I, I'm so grateful to hear Shane that brought you really kind of more in official capacity. Um, for those of you that haven't got a chance to know Paul yet, Paul has kind of the Midas touch of sending and church planning and missions because everything he touches just seems to turn into missions. And so uh, what a great time to be a, a part of, of a movement of what God is, is doing. And I know this really feels like unusual time to be talking about sending. Uh, one of my friends said, he said, it looks like, um, he says, you know, <laughs> he says, after COVID, you're, you're, you know, you're either going to emerge as a monk, a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. And he said, you better choose wisely. Um, I, I know this is really unusual. The one thing you don't expect to emerge as, as is a, um, somebody that's sending and being sent, because we can't even talk about leaving our houses and we're talking about uh, sending. But um, if, you'll, if you'll hear this, um, I, I had a chance, to, uh, I was conferring with uh, John Piper um, just on something, and he just made the comment. He just said, you know, the coronavirus is too big a thing for God to waste. Acts 17 tells us that God rearranges the borders of nations, not usually in ways that we um, anticipate or even appreciate always, but he does it, cataclysmic world events, and he does it all for the purposes of the Great Commission. We've seen some of those, whether it's the fall of the Roman Empire, whether it was uh, kind of the breaking open of Catholicism, some of the changes in Eastern Europe. Um, these things look like they're the focus is what's happening politically and militarily, but uh, we can see through the lens of Scripture that God's actually doing it because he's creating for a people for himself. And, and, and friend, I want to tell you, um, that's what's happening right now. And I know we can't see the fullness of it, but you and I are at alive at a particular moment where Psalm 4610, God says, you know, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. We kind of have no other way of, of doing anything right now except to be still. And we can't go, but know that this is all happening for the purpose of God reaching, um, reaching the nations. And so like Paul said, Shane said, they've asked me to talk for just uh, 15 or so minutes here about creating a sending culture in your church. Um, I, I appreciate even the way that question is phrased because I think culture is the right word. Um, when things are programs, when they are ideas that you just kind of launch, they, I mean, if you get any success in it, it just sort of peters out after a while and you, uh, you kind of go back to normal. Um, the late Peter Drucker used to say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And what he meant by that was it's not strategy that changes you. It's just when the air that you breathe is different. Uh, those were the reasons they referred to this book, uh, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life?, that um, we wrote, it was really about um, the culture that we've been trying to create here among people. Um, I, uh, uh, Wes, I actually dedicated the, the book to Wes Smith, who you'll meet here in a little bit as our college pastor, who's probably done more at our church than any other 
human um, to help create that sending culture so that it's just part of the, the, of the discipleship process. And he came to me about uh, a couple of years ago and he just said, listen, I, you know, he says, we got gaining by losing that really helps the church leader think through strategy. He said, wait, we need something is for the college student, the young professional, the retiree, the person who's just asking, um, how can my life be a part of the Great Commission? And, 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 and so he said, why don't you write something for that? So that's why I dedicated the book to him, um, just because um, he's been right at that intersection, particularly with college students, of just saying, hey, God created you for a purpose. And that purpose was not just for you to get a job, pay your tithes, go to church, and be a good person. Um, he wanted to use you on the front lines of the Great Commission. Um, so really, you know, what I want to kind of just emphasize to you are things that probably you already, I would assume you already know all these, but maybe kind of getting your mind around them together would help in thinking about what kind of culture you're trying to create. Um, the first and most basic principle in all of this is just understanding that literally everybody in the church is called to this. Everybody. Um, you know, I've, I, I, in the book, I talk about the myth of calling, um, how when I grew up, I, we always talked about it like it was this mystical experience that a, a select few people had. It was a burning bush experience. I always refer to it tongue in cheek as the, um, the Cheerios method of being called, where you're staring into your Cheerios and one day they magically spell out missionary or pastor. Um, and I just explained that, that that's not what happened um, to me. It's, it's not, well, I don't think it's biblical. I mean, if, yes, if God spells out something in your Cheerios, by all means, you should pay attention. And if you have a Damascus Road experience, then, then listen to it. But for the vast majority of us, um, you know, I stared at my Cheerios for years and all they ever spelled out was, Ooh, you know, over and over again. It's just not, not the way it, you know, it works. Um, that, that the calling that God gives to the believer was included in the call to follow Jesus. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, which means when you accepted Jesus, you accepted the call to mission. The question is no longer if you're called, the question is really where and how. And that's a vision I think we have to put out in front of people because they're asking if I'm called. And they're saying, well, if I'm called, then I, yeah, I'll do it. I'm ready to go, Lord, you know, here am I, send me. But, um, but unless that happens, then I just, like I say, going to go to church, going to pay my tithes, going to be a good person. Um, and, you know, that's going to be it. And that's just, that has done more to undermine mission in our generation and in our church than probably any other other soft lie that has crawled out of out of hell everybody is called when you go back and you study in church history the great moments of church expansion what you'll find starting with acts and going all the way through to the present day what you'll find it's it's that it's when ordinary people Ordinary people begin to grasp that and begin to, um, to believe in it and to live it out. Um, uh, Stephen Neal is a church historian, uh, wrote a classic book called The History of Christian Mission. And he said the only thing more remarkable about the, um, about the spread of the gospel in the first century, the only thing more remarkable than its rapidity is its anonymity. He said, by the end of the first century, you had three major church planting centers, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome. He said, What's, what they all have in common is that we have no idea who planted the churches there. The church in Antioch would send out the Apostle Paul, but they didn't plant the church there. In fact, the church in Antioch, the, the, the story of it um, is in Acts 11, and it says some brothers, you know, moved to Antioch, and the hand of the Lord was with them, them. Them is like, you know, it's a, a first century way of saying the people in the credits who were, you know, bystander number three. They don't get names because they're not significant leaders in the church. They're just ordinary men and women who moved there and the spirit of God was on them. And they planted a church that would one day send out the apostle Paul. On well, the same way, it's when 
It's when, it's when, it's when ordinary Christians understand that God has equipped them with a skill and God has equipped them with a calling. And their first question is, why did God give me this skill? What am I supposed to do with it? We try to define for people at all ages, particularly college and young professionals, but let's just say all ages um, at our church. We say to understand what it means to follow Jesus is to whatever you're good at, whatever you're good at, it may not be preaching or singing, but architecture, business, law, medicine, whatever, um, whatever you're good at, do it well to the glory of God, but also do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Why is it that, why is it that of all the factors that go into where you pursue your career, the kingdom and the mission of God is not the primary, or for most people, it's not even any factor. They're choosing their career based on where they can make a lot of money and where their family lives and where they want to live. Now, those are fine, but why wouldn't the largest and most influential of those factors be the mission of God? Isn't that what it means to follow Jesus? So I think that's a conviction that has to, to grip you know, who we are down deep in our souls. Um, the second conviction goes right along um, hand in hand with that one, and that is that rapid multiplication happens when ordinary people um, are filled with the spirit and sent out. Um, we always, you know, those of us that are in the church world, you know, the kind of the dream is right. The big church, big movement, you know, and, 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 and you're the guy they're preaching. Um, what you find consistently when you study the new Testament is that whenever Jesus talks about the rapid expansion and the greatness of gospel mobilization. He's never talking about one ministry getting larger and larger. He's talking about ordinary people being raised up and sent out. I'll give you one kind of text that proves that. John 14, 12, Jesus said, truly I say to you, um, greater works than I have done, you will do. Now, just think about the kind of absurdity on the surface of that statement, greater works. Even if you write off the miracles, let's just take out raising Lazarus from the dead and walking on the water. Let's just leave that aside. Um, who here listening, put this in the chat if you think this is you, who here says, I've preached a greater sermon than the Sermon on the Mount? Man, my sermon last weekend, it did it, it, way better than the Sermon on the Mount. Who here has counseled somebody with greater clarity, prophecy, and wisdom than Jesus counseled the woman in John 4? Who has ever prayed with greater insight into who God is than John 17? Has there ever been anything you've ever done? That has been greater? The answer, of course, is no. So, how could it be greater? And theologians, of course, say, well, it was greater um, not in the quality of each event, it was greater in the quantity. When, you, when, when, when Jesus left, the, the, the power and the potential of the Spirit on ordinary believers would be greater in extent, watch this, than if the Spirit of God stayed located primarily on one person, even if that person was Jesus. So what that means is that the greatness of the church is not the ministry of J.D. Greer getting larger and larger and more and more people reading a book and more and more people listening and dialing in. The greatness of the church happens when ordinary summit members are raised up and sent out. Um, the way that we have pursued church growth in this country turns that principle on its head because we act like the, the, the greatness of ministry happens through, through, through its largeness. It's one of the reasons, and Paul, I think, uh, kind of alluded to this earlier. We say that a real church, a New Testament church, celebrates success not by seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Are you raising up and sending out? You know, is that, is that, is that core to your, is that one of the success markers? I know success is faithfulness, but, but is one of the, the, the numerical things that you're going forward, not seating capacity, but sending capacity. Now, I'll tell you, there's been a couple of obstacles that I've encountered along the way that maybe will be helpful to you as you think through this. Um, 
the, the obstacles have been my idolatry and my unbelief. Okay. Uh, my idolatry. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, sending is rarely good for your bottom line. Um, you don't make money on sending. Of all the churches we've ever planted and sent out, nobody's ever come back to me and said, hey, you know what? I just want to, I just want to, I, w- I want to put $100,000 back in the offering. Nobody's ever done that. Um, church plants and missionaries, we always say are like teenagers and that they, all they want is your money and your affirmation and then for you to leave them alone. Uh, that's what they have in common. Um, so um, we are a, um, a group of, of, of pastors that have to say, my success is not going to be found in in, in, in this big church, this big ministry, because I'm going to give away some of the very best of my, my resources. Some of you that heard me speak may have heard me tell this story, but um, I'll share it with you because it's just very, um, I think it gets to the heart of, of kind of the idolatry that keeps God from working through us. Um, I was praying, this is years ago, about a decade ago, I was praying for the city where I live, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, praying that God would send like revival. I mean, like old school, you know, just revival. And um, the kind that you would, you know, if you were writing history books 200 years from now, you would reference this revival as changing the future of North Carolina. And I don't have often that God, I feel like, audibly speaks to me, but this was one of those moments. And it was like the Spirit of God in this afternoon that I'd taken for prayer and fasting and, and focus on Him. Um, he said, okay, what if I say yes? What if I say yes to that request? And what if I do send a revival that changes the, the, the future of the college campuses and the cities. But what if I don't use Summit Church to do it? What if it's another church that gets bigger and your church stays the same size? Do you still want me to do that? Now, brothers and sisters, I know the right answer, right? I know it's supposed to be like, oh, yes, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. That would have, I know that's the right answer, but that wouldn't have been the real answer. The real answer was, no, I'm not okay with that. I want my name to be associated with the success. And I realized kind of in that moment that a lot of this time I've been saying, thy kingdom come, what I really want, what I really meant was my kingdom come. And I really wanted to have a a big ministry and a a known ministry and one with a lot of resources for my own benefit. I would love to tell you that I've gotten rid of that idolatry and it plagues me no more, but that's not true. It's something I I still struggle with, but it marked a a line of demarcation there for a moment because I said, God, this is going to be your church. As much as you will give me grace, I'm going to open my hands and say, take, take what you want. It's, it's yours. Um, you know, when you, when, when you start seeing that God is taking out of your church some of your most influential leaders and influential, you know, uh, donors, and he's moving them out to church plants, I'm telling you, it's painful. Um, one of, every year we send out, it's about 100 of our members usually about two-thirds of them are college students, but about a hundred that'll go off on one of our church plants or something. And um, I, one of the few of the, the planting pastors were telling me about all the people they recruited because we give them about a year to just to recruit as many as they can from our church. So they're telling me about people and, and y'all, I was panicking because I'm like, no, not that guy, that guy, not that I know who gives what, but that guy gives a lot of money and um, worship leaders and, and elders and uh, anyway, make a long story short, I just, I kind of felt myself panicking and I had to force myself to take my hands, put them under the table. Nobody could see it. It was a moment just between me and the Lord. And I had to open my hands and say, Lord, this is your church, not mine. And I just want to, you know, if you bless your name and you increase the harvest by growing our church, then awesome. But if you grow your harvest by taking the seed out of my hand and scattering it, and our church has a net negative effect, that's okay, because ultimately, 
This is your, your movement, not mine. And I don't want to get in the way of it. Um, I think there's some idolatry things that we got to deal with because if we're going to be really committed to sending, it's going to be different than being committed to growing our own name and acclaim, which leads me to the last thing. And that is, um, um, it's, it was my lack of faith that really kept me from doing this. You know, the, the story that Jesus told about the master who goes away and leaves three of his servants, five talents, two talents, and one talent. When he comes back, you know the story, the five is doubled to 10, two to four. The one who had one talent buried it. What's always been intriguing to me is why he said he buried it. He buried it because he was afraid. He was afraid of losing it. That's legitimate, right? I'm afraid of losing it. What's most disturbing about the parable is Jesus's response to that servant is he says, you wicked servant. The first thing I ask is, what wicked thing had he done? I mean, he, he didn't like take the money and blow it on prostitutes. He didn't steal it. He gave back 100% of it. Yet the master calls him wicked because, listen to this, a failure to invest what God has given you for the purposes for which God gave it to you is as wicked as anything else you can do in the Bible. There's more than one way to be wicked. You can be wicked by you know, sleeping around and being a hypocrite and stealing money, breaking the Ten Commandments. You can also be wicked by keeping all the commandments, yet failing to invest the resources that God gave you for the purpose for which he gave them to you. God is not blessing your ministry. He's not growing your church to have a large ministry. He's doing it so that you can increase your your sending capacity. And to be faithful to him is to open your hands to that and say, God, I don't, I just want you to I want you to take what I have, and I want you to multiply it for um, the purposes of the Great Commission. It's interesting. Um, we know how to teach this principle to our members when it comes to their giving financially. What do we say? Give your first and your best. Don't wait to the end of the month and see if you got money left over laying around. Give your first and your best first and let God provide your needs. Why is it that pastors don't do that with their leaders? Why is it that we teach this principle to our members with their money, but don't do it with our own leaders? Why is it that the first and best of our leaders are not offered to God and say, God, take these leaders and send them out? Because as I give to you, I trust you're going to multiply and give back to me. I'll tell you that um, we, you know, being at our church sometimes is like hugging a parade because you got some of the greatest leaders that are just seem to be passing through. Um, but what's happened is for every one leader we send out, three are raised up in its place. Um, I saw a study that showed that for every one member we've sent out, there are 20 new people worshiping in the kingdom. Um, and also just learned that as of uh, last weekend, um, there's a total of 19,000 people that are worshiping um, on our domestic church, just domestic church plants. Um, that does more, gives me more joy than, than anything. I mean, I love seeing what God does here at the Summit Church, but it's, it's giving, it's opening. That's when it really really begins to see and multiply. That's all part of creating that culture. And, and culture means it's from top to bottom. You pastor and you church leader, I, I hope that you'll spend a lot of time on the front lines, like seeing and getting to know some of these church plants personally so that illustrations kind of flood your, your language as you talk about it. I hope you teach your kids that. Uh, we stopped doing baby dedications a while back and we started do, to do parent commissionings. And part of the parent commissioning process is making parents covenant that when their child is older, if God calls them to go on a church plant, they're not going to stand in the way. Um, so that, that from the very beginning, they're thinking, God gave me this child to send, not to hold. Um, when we baptize people, we have them say something that one of our missionaries taught us. And that is, um, because Jesus is Lord, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. 
We're trying to build missions into everything. We put it all over our walls. Um, we end every service with you are sent. Uh, we have church plants that will lead communion for us via video so that we can, we just want it to be part of the air that we breathe. Um, if you want sending to be effective, it's not because you, you, you adopt a strategy. It's because you inculcate a culture. And that culture starts with your own heart and then bleeds out. Let me just close by saying that I think I started at the beginning saying this is an amazing moment that we're in. Um, I, I, don't, I don't like grandiose kind of rah-rah, like, hey, this is, you know, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. But um, you just look at what's happening right now. Um, I don't see how we can't conclude that God's setting up a sending revolution. Rodney Stark, um, he wrote a book, uh, written several books that have been helpful to me on the history of the church. And one of the things that he said is he said, um, he said, you know, we always talk about the first century as being this incredibly powerful time, right? Where the church multiplied like crazy. He said, the problem is if you'd have been alive in the first century, it wouldn't have felt like that. Did you know by the end, they say 99 AD, there were only 7,500 believers total in the whole world, 7,500. Many of you are at churches that are that big. Um, 7,500, like after a hundred, after 70 years, put away this idea that Peter is preaching to big Billy Graham sized stadium. That's not happening. What was happening is they were teaching ordinary members. The great commission is your responsibility. So by the time you get to uh, 312 AD, over half the Roman empire now identifies as Christian. So much so that Constantine has to convert for political reasons. What happened? It's just ordinary people. They just said, hey, when we move to Antioch, we're here to put the mission of God first. Without money, without TV spots, without politicians, without influence, they multiplied like crazy. I would say we're in America kind of on the tail end of what I'm going to call the megachurch era. And I'm not against megachurches. Clearly, I pastor one. So, um, but we're on the tail end of it because we've seen the biggest, best, flashiest ministries the world has ever seen. And we need more of those, right? Billy Graham has filled up stadiums larger than apostles could never have imagined that. And yet the entire time in the United States, the entire time all that was happening, the attendance, the average percentage of people in church on the weekend went down, not up. That's not dissing that strategy. I think we need more of those things. I'm just saying that there's a new strategy, and that is a New Testament strategy of ordinary people being raised up and sent out. Did you know? There are more Southern Baptist churches than there are Starbucks, Subways, or McDonald's. What if every single one of those churches, or even half of them, took this seriously and said, we're going to reproduce? That's where I'm telling you we could have the same thing we happened in the first two or three centuries. So I'm privileged to be able to be a part of that, a partner with you in it. Go to is just a, a tool to help people give them some handles about what to do with it. What are you going to do with your life is what I'm trying to put in the hands of our members to say, hey, consider this question for yourself. I hope it's helpful. There are other tools out there too, but I hope it's helpful to you to give this vision to college students and retirees, people just asking the questions, young professionals, because I think as Paul said earlier, the, um, the, great, the need is great, but the laborers are few. Um, so just know that I'm praying for you. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it and happy to be a part of it. Look forward to following Shane and, and Paul as they lead us in this. Awesome, Pastor JD. Thank you so much. So inspiring, so encouraging. Um, I, I tell you, every time I hear Pastor JD speak, he's one of those guys that like he can talk about bottled water, and I want to run through a wall to get bottled water. Like he is so um, inspiring, encouraging, but also so practical. And so, if you're like me, your toes are probably a little sore from being stepped on. 
your heart's beating with some excitement and in your mind there's some gears turning already with questions. So we want to be able to answer those questions. So uh, Pastor JD, Wes, and Todd will be uh, a part of a kind of a Q&A panel in just a moment. So we want to answer as many possible questions as we can in our allotted time. So if you would, just in the chat, go ahead and put in your questions there. We'll try to gather as many of those as possible. And I know some of you have already begun uh, to ask some questions. One that's been asked multiple times, is this being recorded to where we can rewatch it again and send it to other leaders? It is being recorded. We'll make that available. And then another question that was asked is uh, the word goat is being thrown around a lot. And so someone asked, what does goat mean? So thank you for all those that jumped in and explained what goat means. All right. So, but if you have other questions, be sure and send those in and uh, we'll be able to answer those. Also, as a reminder, uh, your attendance today uh, ensures you getting that book that has been talked about. Um, and what are you going to do with your life? And so here's how you get the book. All right, you ready? We'll also put this in the chat. Uh, we need you to text the word book and send it to 888-123. So text the word book and send that to 888-123. Now, you will not get an immediate response because we don't want you to be distracted from what's being shared here. But at the conclusion of our webinar, you'll get a text message back with a little form. We need you to fill out that form so we can get your information to be sure and get that book to you. So text the word book to 888-123. At NAM, we have two initiatives that are designed to help churches and collegiate ministries train and send out laborers. The first one I want to share about briefly with you is Jen Sin. Steve Turner leads that movement for us. And uh, Steve is going to share with us briefly a little bit more about Jensen. And so I want to welcome Steve Turner on. Steve Turner, uh, you'll, you'll see he's got like an all-pro varsity beard. So Steve Turner, you and your beard come share with us about Jensen. Yeah, the beard just means I'm old. <laughs> uh, but hey, glad to be here with you guys. Hey, what an awesome opportunity and privilege we have to lead young men and women uh, who are in the defining decade of their life. And so we get to point them uh, in a direction that they will probably model uh, for the rest of their life. One of the things I think we need to do, and one of the things we've tried to do with Send is start by what JD has talked about, which is really just reframing the conversation and really pointing out that every follower of Christ is by command of the king, a missionary. How you do that, where you do that, that may be a specific calling, but the command to go make disciples is universal for those that follow Christ. And so as we begin this culture change, it really begins by reframing that conversation. About eight years ago, we created Gen Send really as a tool in your sending toolkit. So that's the way I want you to think of us as we partner with you, just a tool in your toolkit. Uh, Jensen's been around about eight years. A lot of you know about Jensen, but if you don't, uh, let me catch you up today. Uh, there's two pieces to Jensen. The first one is what we call Jensen Summer. Jensen Summer is a six to eight week experience, a full immersion, uh, into a major city in the U.S. or Canada, uh, working alongside church planters 
and mercy compassion ministries, really just to explore what it looks like to live your life on mission. As we developed Jensen, one of the things we thought about is, is there's so many partners that we work with, uh, church-based ministries, uh, campus-based ministries, organizations like state conventions, and even collegiate universities uh, that are Baptist or other faith-based colleges and universities. So we wanted to create an immersion experience that fit all of those customers. Uh, so what we try to do is base it around principles. What are some principles that we can teach about living life on mission in the context of church planting that would be transferable back to the local context. Along the way, really throwing a lure in the water uh, for students to go, hey, what if you came to this city post-graduation to live your life, to help that plant, uh, to create that momentum uh, for disciple-making in a new place? And so that became the birthplace of Jensen. Uh, again, this coming summer will be in 23 locations in North America. Um, one of the beautiful things about the cooperative program is it allows us to do this, to be a part of your toolkit, very inexpensively to the student. Um, so we have six-week cities, we have eight-week cities, uh, and the way to best figure cost is essentially it's $100 a week. So a six-week city is $600. An eight-week city's 800. In return, they get uh, housing. Uh, they get in-city transportation. Uh, they get their program costs. And then we give them 800 to 1,000 on a prepaid debit card for meals, but also to really think through how would a missionary invest this money for the kingdom of God while they're there. Um, so that is the Jensen's summer. Uh, philosophy. And really, it fits in your toolkit as you see it. Most organizations will send either uh, one or two students, or they may send a whole cohort to work together with a planter in a city, and then bring all those skill sets, bring those principles back to campus, and deploy them locally. That's Jensen Summer. Jensen Breaks, fairly new. So Jensen Breaks are short-term uh, kind of taste-and-see experiences where we merge evangelism, mercy and compassion, church planting, uh, and really a, a vision for the city in the same Jensen locations that we use in the summer. So we do those around typical breaks. Um, now, 2020, there's been nothing typical about anything. Um, so this year, we're really working more as a concierge service with organizations that go, hey, you tell us when you can go, how many people you're going to bring, and then let us help you figure it out. So that's kind of a, a, a quick run through of GenSend. Uh, think of us as your toolkit. And one of the best ways we can do that is really just set up a conversation with you later uh, to talk about how Jensen can be a part of your strategy, because we're here to partner with you, uh, not to sell you a program, but to say, hey, let's, let's look at how this can fit your sending strategy 
and the culture you're trying to build. So I've dropped uh, my contact info into the chat. And uh, Shane, that's all I got. But here's one of the beauties. Once we finish Gen Sin, that just has naturally led into the next step, which I know you're going to talk about next. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. It's been truly amazing to hear all the stories of how God has used Gen Sin to transform student lives literally from all over the nation. The other initiative that we haven't named that goes perfectly with what Pastor JD was talking about is GoTo. There are endless opportunities for students to give two years to strategic church planning and mission efforts. Uh, Ditson Noel uh, has the coolest name at NAM, and he leads that ministry for NAM. And uh, so, Ditson, would you come on and share a little bit more about GoTo? Yeah. Hey, look, um, I'm honored to be on this call with you all. And uh, we know that you all are in an extremely transitional ministry. You're receiving students, the incoming freshmen, you're graduating students, seniors or super seniors. And the hope of this is that you all will be sending students. That's why you all are participating in this event, of course. So go to, I want to be clear, is not a program. Uh, it, it is not a program. Go to, as Steve said, is literally a tool that can add another level of mobilization to your ministries. GoTo is an opportunity for students to live missionally after graduation with the church by leveraging the first years of their careers. So your students are graduating and moving all over the country and the world to cities and starting their careers. Your work may be done, but God's work is not done. And so that's where we come in. We help your students transition from your campus to the city by plugging them into a gospel-centered church. So they can use their careers for a purpose. And imagine two years from now, after uh, we've had this conference, two years from now seeing cities flooded with mission-minded young professionals who are pointing people to Jesus and leveraging their careers and using different opportunities to make sure that God is glorified in their lives and also in the church. And so as you're engaging your future graduates, Send them to go2years.net, and that link should be coming up uh, in the chat. And they can click on Get Started, and that will help them get connected to me. Also, um, they, they will get connected to an IMB uh, mobilizer if they are passionate about going overseas and serving over there. But also, if you have any questions, uh, email me at dnoel at nam.net. And I would love to help you and serve and come alongside of your ministry and just see us as a resource for you all as you all begin to prepare to think, how do I send my students or continue what I invested in them after they graduate and leave from your shepherding? Thanks, Disson. Man, you're the GOAT. I love it. <laughs> Such an amazing opportunity. Go-to, man, is... It's not just a program, it's a movement. And we're seeing God do incredible things to send people out um, and use no matter what vocation they're called to. That's, I think that's one of the big paradigm shifts that we've seen is that people can go into all sorts of fields and still be about the mission of God. So now we're gonna grill Todd Unzicker and Wes Smith, the college pastor of Summit Church with some questions about how to take um, man, I, I was moved, um, by what JD shared. And now we're going to take it from the inspirational to the practical. 
And so we're gonna start with a few questions and we're gonna just blast them, just grill them with questions. So here's the first one, either Todd or Wes. Um, what do you guys do to cast vision and recruit students, first of all, for summer mission opportunities? And what does that look like in your context? So either Todd or Wes. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one. So yeah, my name's Wes. I'm the college pastor here at the Summit. And uh, I'm pretty used to this. JD giving the inspirational talk, and then now me figuring out how to actually get people to go and do that. So um, what we tell people, our students, as far as summers, and this is, this is huge. I'll just say this from the beginning. 90% of our students who do go to do one of our summer missions opportunities. The number one factor to decide if a student's going to go over to give two years after they graduate is if they give a summer while they're in college. So it is huge for us. And so what we tell our students is, if you are already giving four years to being trained in your career, why not give one summer to be trained to make disciples? Mm. And so we say, you, you have four summers, you can do anything you want to with, why not give one of those summers to grow as a disciple and as a um, disciple maker? And so the way we kind of do the cast the vision is two kind of ways. We do a kind of, we call it air war and ground war. Air war will be like big events, stuff like that, ground war. We'll get to in a minute, but our air war stuff is we just in November we'll do a big catalytic event. Maybe have JD come, some of like that preach about missions and and their role in it, and do some video. You know, kind of give them just a little bit of taste of what that summer project is. But that's probably like five percent of what's actually happening. The ground war is like the ninety-five percent, and that is uh, the personal conversation. I actually heard Paul say before, like you know, personal is powerful that most of the big changes in our life didn't happen because some giant talk happened, but because of one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody in our lives. And so what we do, we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every single one of our students about what they're gonna do with their summer. We think this is a unique opportunity, you can do anything you want with it. And so we say, we teach them how to make a decision their freshman year on how to make a decision based off God, his word and his mission, because they're gonna be making that decision the rest of their life when they're thinking about who they're gonna marry, where they're gonna go when they graduate, all these different things. So we wanna teach them on the front end, and how do you make a decision based off that? And so we go ahead and do that in uh, November. And what we've just really seen is the best recruiters to, to summer projects are people that are students that have already done it. Like they're the ones that are really recruiting other students to do it, and so we just kinda of set them up to have all those conversations. So we just, the main thing we're trying to do is we just ask every student to be open-handed about their summer, and just really seek the Lord and see what he has for him. So that's the, what I would say is we do some air war, bigger events, but the main thing is we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every student on how they can um, leverage their summer um, for the glory of God. Love it, love it. Thank you so much. Todd, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I would also say um, make it part of your weekly routine. Uh, it's not something that we do and we don't genuinely um, have a missions weekend or ascending weekend. We make sure that it's in every single sermon, talk, uh, gathering for students, gathering for the normal congregation. Um, that, uh, that's what J.D. touched on. We say you are sent. Um, it is not, um, you know, we use this analogy. We've got, we've got our phones and we've got operators systems and we have apps. Oftentimes people think of missions, church planning, sending as an app um, of, of their church when really it's the operating system. And so um, every single week we want to make the call and ask folks, um, you know, what are they going to do with their life and, and, and send them out. Love that. Just weaving it into every single, <laughs> you know, every week is mission Sunday, right? You know, 
I love that. That is so good. Um, so the, the next question I have for you guys is we're talking about sending laborers. Um, how do you prepare students to become lifetime laborers? They don't, they're not laborers yet. So what are the key areas maybe of knowledge, character, skills that you want a, a student to have before you sent them so that you can actually send someone that's effective? And then what kind of experiences do you want a student to have before they graduate so that they were sent well? So I know that's a lot, but kind of shoot at whatever you want to want to say. Wes, go ahead. You did such a great job last time. <laughs> All right. So if I go two for two here. Uh, I think the big thing for us is kind of the primary way we have is the, the summer project we call, we have this called City Project. Now, um, there's lots of different good summer projects. And if you did something, it doesn't have to look like ours. But the main thing is using a summer project to help students really to be trained in disciple making. So ours is called City Project. It's an eight-week disciple making program where they spend one week in New York City learning to share the gospel with unreached people groups, which is amazing. You can imagine a guy who just came to Christ three or four, you know, like a couple months ago is then sharing the gospel for the first time with some guy from Nepal. It's just an amazing thing to be a part of. So they go for a week, learn to share the gospel with unreached people groups. Second, they, they, we come in for a month. We have classes with them. We teach them just like things like how to read the Bible, how to pray, um, you know, different things about God and culture and theology and stuff like that. And then we go overseas for two weeks. So they have like 10 different locations they can choose from all over the world. They get to go over, really experience what it's like to be a missionary for two weeks, sharing the gospel. And then, so that, that happens. Then they come back. And this last part is really important. It's only three days, but it's huge. We come back and we sit down with every single student and we talk to them about, okay, here are your strengths, here are your weaknesses. And here's where I can see God calling you. I can see where God leading you in the future is that we want to take advantage of that opportunity and go ahead and cast vision for them freshman year. Like, hey, we can see you moving overseas when you graduate. We can see you going with the church plan. We can see you doing all these different things. And so what I would just say is that's kind of one of the main ways we do that. And one of the main skills is obviously want them to be able to read the Bible and pray and have a, a walk with the Lord. We've just seen if students are sharing the gospel in our culture, that is the game changer. That's yeah. immediately when it changes the game for them and for their walk with Christ and for their willingness to go and be on part of mission. So we do everything we can to give them as many reps as we can sharing the gospel in any setting that we can find. So I would just say any opportunity you have, get them in some experience where they're sharing the gospel will be the main thing. Wow. That is so good, Wes. Todd, what do you got to got anything to add to that? Uh, I, I think what, what Wes is hitting on is there's no transformation uh, by aviation. If somebody's not sharing the gospel on their college campus, just because they get on an airplane and go somewhere else, uh, whether that's Boston or San Francisco or to Mumbai or Kuala Lumpur, they're not going to do it. So um, look at those and, um, you know, consider things like door to door malls. I, I, I've told this to Wes before. I was out with my family at our mall here one time and all of a sudden these two students just came up to us and just started sharing Jesus with us like crazy. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, very, I guess we looked like people who desperately need Jesus, which is true. But, you know, I was like, oh, where do you guys go to church? And they're like, the Summit Church. Yeah, our pastor Wes sent us out here. And <laughs> so Wes is sending students to the malls. And that's just, they're just learning to share the gospel like crazy. And so uh, it's just one of the most, most key things. Todd, I actually sent them directly to you. I saw you. Go get that guy. Go get that guy. <laughs> That happens a lot. Is that you, Wes, who's sending them? I'm doing all I can. Love it. Dude, that's so good. I, you know, I, my heart in evangelism is that the best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do. 
And so really just helping students get that experience, like, like you, what you're saying, Wes, the reps, I think that is so key because really evangelism fixes everything. It makes your, your prayer life better. It makes your discipleship deeper. It kind of adds that fuel. That's what we're made for. The Holy Spirit inside us says, hey, this is what I was made for. This is what we were made to do when we share the gospel. So, man, I love that, guys. Um, so the last one is goes with this whole go-to concept. Um, the last of my pre-prepared questions, I have some from the audience. How do you create a culture where going on mission after college, this go-to thing, is the norm and not the exception? What practical ways do you make the go-to ask of your students? Um, I'll, I'll take a stab because it's not just our students. We talk our young professionals and we talk our retirees. Uh, I think this is important to engage boomers and kind of senior adults. Forbes magazine says that the average retiree, Paul, is going to live 20 years after they retire. And wow. so what we try to ask them is like, why not tithe your retirement? Give the first two years of your retirement to the mission of God. Every single church plant and missionary team um, needs experience, wisdom, uh, and folks who've been there. And so, to, you know, to have some folks with gray in their beard or, um, you know, white in their hair is just so needed. And so one of the things that we we really try to talk with with all of them, whether they're students um, or, you know, senior adults, is um, giving to that mission of God. Um, what does what does that look like? Um, how can, you can be um, be be a part of that? Um, I know Wes is is always kind of leading them, you know, towards that ask. But we look at this as um, everyone is called, as JD said, and so it's not just leaving your career for the mission of God, but it's leveraging your career. In mm-hmm. fact, I think that's the big flip here is that. Um, somebody's going to finish school and they're going to go to the big town nearby and they're going to be a school teacher. Well, why not be a school teacher in Detroit or San Francisco or Salt Lake City or Boston and be a school teacher in a, in a city that's desperately needs teachers and then get with Ditson and Nam and say, hey, plug me into some church plants and I'm going to serve there. Wouldn't it be awesome to leave a, lead a Bible study at the school you work at in the early morning times and on that weekend the church plant meets in that school? Um, what a, what a picture of the gospel really being a part of all of society. Wow. So good. Yeah. I would just add kind of with Todd, when you're trying to create this culture, one is that culture doesn't happen overnight. You know, I remember when we started making these go-to ask of our seniors, they were like, what are you talking about? And they were not on board. But now nine years later, oftentimes when we come to these conversations, they're telling us sophomore year, Hey, I want to go here. I want to go here. Where are we planning church when I graduate? So it's like kind of become, because what's happened is the person who led them to Christ has now moved overseas to be a missionary or has now went with a church plant. So it's become normal. And so not all the time, but that's like what we're fighting for. And so just know it takes time. And a couple of things I would just say is one is like stories are huge. Stories stick. That's just the thing. And so we just try to tell story after story after story after story of what God has done as he's seen students come to know Christ as they've done one of our projects and they've been sent out for two years. So we just try to tell stories in every environment that we have as much as possible. The other thing is just like we do summer conversations, we also do senior conversations. So in September, what we'll do is we'll have a senior night. We bring all of our seniors together and then we'll just kind of cast vision for all the different options and for what they're doing. Then we'll sit down with every senior and just celebrate what God's done with them and, you know, in college and then ask them, how do they want to leverage that? So they know that we're asking, from the get-go, every student knows we're asking every one of our students to give two years. They don't all do it, 
but we want to give that vision from the very, very beginning. So senior conversations are huge. We start them in September. We ask them to commit by December about what they're, where they're going to go. And it's just the same thing like we did earlier on. We're teaching them to make a decision based off God, his word, and his mission. And something like Todd said, what, what we're teaching them to do is our culture, even our Christian culture often says, hey, get the best job that you can and then try to find a church in the area. And we want to flip it. Say, mm -hmm. hey, go be a part of planting a church and then try to find a, a, a job that works in your career in there as well. And okay. so we just want to, I think once one of the big things is just continuing to give vision and then making personal specific ask of students to be a part of the mission of God. Yeah, I, let me just add one last thing I would say is that we replicate what we celebrate. And I think for so long, we have replicated ministries that talk about addition. I mean, I was, a, I was an associational missional strategist and pastors on a Monday morning. I knew the number one question they're going to say, what'd you have? How many did you have? Uh, people are always like, oh, get to your spot. Get into church. Get in your spot. Um, sending churches don't have spots because people are always moving. Oh. And um, we really want people to understand that it is the movement of God that um, is forcefully advancing is what scripture says. And so being a part of that, make that ask um, and celebrate the stories. If your ministry, if you're a church of 30 and you've got one, or maybe you have got a, a ministry that's sending two out, celebrate those stories. I'll, I'll put my email in here. We'll have the go-to. We'll tell those stories because when people see that, they say, well, I can do that too. Guys, I said this to Shane before the call started. Why is it that the Peace Corps and Teach for America and a cult can do this with two years when we are Holy Spirit-filled people, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who said we do greater works than Jesus collectively? Why can't we do that with the greatest news ever told? Wow. Hmm. That is so good. Thank you, guys. That is awesome. We, there was a great question. Chad Stillwell from South Carolina said, hey, we see where Summit is at now and the movement that God is doing, but how did you get it, get this movement, this sending culture started? Um, what were some of the very first things you did to get that flywheel um, going and kind of bring us back to um, kind of the early days, if you will, of how you guys got this going? Um. I can jump in a little bit. I'm obviously, I've only been here like nine years, which actually kind of makes me old around here as far mm -hmm. as the time that I've been here. Um, but so I don't know from the very, very beginning, but I know just as far as college, when I started, we were just, you know, sending a, a couple of students, you know, and I, I would just say from the college side of things, there, there's not a specific thing, but I would just say we started small and that was okay. Mm. We asked, we had a high commitment. We had a high bar we were asking for students to give and only a, a couple were doing it, right? But eventually over time, we saw over time more and more people like committed to it. And so I would just, um, that's not maybe answering the specific question and Ty, you can maybe answer the bigger summit level things, but just for as far as college side of things, we started with a high ask, high commitment, few people committed, but over time, as we continued to be a part of that and as the, the, the culture kind of got created, more and more people, you know, became a part of, of the projects. We've added more projects than we used to do. We've added more options, but it started with just a small ask of a few people and it kind of grew over that. Yeah. You know, Wes, we hear all the time around here. JD always says that we, he says the summit sends out their best. You and I are now like the old timers around here. I don't know what that says about us. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, I look at it this way. Whoever asked that question, I, I've been at the summit um, nine years as well. 
Before that, I worked with a group of 30 churches in a Baptist association. The largest church, which was the big church, uh, had like 300. Um, and that association of churches had about seven or eight full-time missionaries on the field. They all started out with me of a simple ask of come on a one-week trip. They came on a one-week trip because we started doing some book studies on the nations and church planting together, and we started going and knocking doors and those kind of things. So I, I really just don't buy this like, oh, we're a small church or we're a small ministry. Um, God doesn't see that uh, because we have the Holy Spirit. And there were 12 people that scripture says turn the world upside down. And so um, I really look at, are we relying on our own eyes or are we walking by faith? And so I think that anybody on this call, no matter the size of their church or how long they've been in their ministry, is to just get out and go tell someone about Jesus, take someone with you to go do that, and then let's celebrate the victories and what God's done, and we tend to replicate what we celebrate. Hmm. I love that. I mean, it reminds me of that in Good to Great, one of my favorite secular leadership books about the flywheel, how it just takes a little bit of time to get that, those first couple pushes, and then after a while you get momentum and you create that culture. And yeah, I've, we've seen the same thing in our ministry is the, the first followers, you know, that's how, that's how, what it takes to get that movement started. So there has been a ton of questions about how do we create this disciple making and sending culture with COVID? What if, how have you guys pivoted um, with COVID and how do you even send people in the midst of this pandemic that we have going on? Yeah, we had one of our, um, our biggest, um, with our pl church plant going to Nashville, we actually had one of the, I think, Wes, I might make sure I'm not lying. I think they had about 40 go with them to Nashville, which makes that the second most sent plant, meaning our planters go out and they take a team with them. Um, I think in 10 years, that's the second highest. And it was, they left in May or June, like at the height of lockdown. Um, and the rationale was, hey, life is already upside down. This is actually a great time. <laughs> Let's go move and life can be upside down in someplace new and we can try to find a job there. So um, we're definitely seeing God move in awesome ways. Certainly it is short, it has cut down short-term trips and overseas travel and there's just rules and laws. Um, but, you know, the mission, of, we may be quarantined, but the mission of God isn't. And so we are still having those conversations and believing that the day is going to open up soon because we'd rather have and not need than to need and not have. And so we're still having those conversations. Wes, what's that look like specifically with college ministry? Yeah, if the specific question is what to do in college ministry during COVID, I don't have your specific answer because I'm just, this is my first global pandemic that I'm working in. But uh, I think a, a couple of things that we did, we pivoted is we did a, um, for our summer projects, we had to pivot and do it all online. Now, one of the things that it actually helped us see is we, we actually at times depended too much on our, on our summer projects. And we need to even, you know, step up our game as far as disciple making during the year. So I think it's, that can help us make us, you know, even better during the year. Um, I think we have already started recruiting for this summer. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty about what, where, you know, where we can go, what we can do. But the, the, the ask is the same in the, in the sense of asking students to be open-handed with their future. Mm -hmm. and to trust that the Lord is going to lead them and guide them. So we actually have already had a lot of students that were committing to going overseas after they graduate and going with the church plant. Even there's some uncertainty, you know, uh, of, of if that's going to be possible. So I guess my thought would be uh, specifically, I would, I would not change the, 
the, the, the what you're asking of them, I would still say, hey, man, hey, you, it's, you, we're still asking you to give two years. What that might look like, uh, we just don't know in the future. But trusting that the Lord is going to like lead and guide them. So, you know, I, I don't have all the answers for sure when it comes to leading in a global pandemic. But that, I think continue to ask them to, to be a part and to give the first year after they graduate is still key. And they're still responding to it right now. Yeah, Dixon, um, who's on the call from NAM, uh, he and I were uh, with like a group of a few hundred college students Sunday night. What we told them was just go ahead and put your yes on the table and then let God put it on the map. So go to go2years.net, say yes, you know, whether that's North America or that's overseas with the IMB, um, Lord, here am I, send me, you know, and uh, that's my posture. And just like we're going to trust exactly where he might send, we're going to trust the timing and how he's and when he sends. Um, and so in the meantime, we're going to um, be telling people about Jesus, just standing six feet apart, but we're still going to be telling about Jesus. Love that. Yeah. I, one thing I see that Wes alluded to is like, never apologize for holding a high standard for students. Um, we should actually apologize by holding too low of a standard because mm -hmm. The Great Commission is too important and too urgent, and Jesus is too good for us to settle for just, hey, let's just, let's just play it cool. Oh, you guys have Zoom fatigue. Okay. You know, like babying them, for lack of a better word. Um, but in our ministry in Chico, we found that the more we call them to, even during COVID, hey, let's do evangelistic Bible studies on Zoom. And we, we, we ended up seeing like 20 evangelistic Bible studies started. Um, like 40 people coming to Christ online. So like, don't tell me that God's spirit can't move through Zoom, you know, and it, it's, there's so much that can be done for, in evangelism, disciple making, mission mobilization. Um, these obstacles actually can be opportunities that God, God wants to use. So there was a, Bill No, um, he posted a link to Wes's playbook um, so go ahead and make sure to check in the chat, but we'd love to get that, get that to you guys, a playbook for their city project, kind of like an under the hood look at their summer projects. And then also, um, we, I've been talking with a lot of people that have kind of been creating their own local summer project and then partnering with Steve Turner and Jen Send for that one week, two week, um, Jen Send break. So I'd love to connect with you guys or email Steve Turner. If you're interested in kind of creating a NAM Jensen hybrid summer project for your for your local ministry, our ministry's had a local summer project for years, and it's been an absolute game changer. So, man, I wish we had more time to go into. We have about 20 questions, but we gotta we gotta move move ahead. So, Shane, can you kind of give any any comments to wrap us up, wrap our time up? Yeah, Paul, thank you so much. And uh, I know, like everyone on here, um, I've been extremely encouraged, blessed. So thank you so much, Wes and Todd, uh, for sharing. And please give our uh, thanks and, and gratitude to Pastor JD as well. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, incredible, Paul. You know, just a couple of things that just stood up. I love that. You know, put your yes on the table, let the God put it on the map. Oh my gosh, that's uh, all the fire emojis there. You know, I love that. And then, hey, I love that Todd threw out about the go-to challenge for, like, retirees. That's, like, go-to silver right there. You know, that's the silver edition. I love that. That is incredible. So I'm so encouraged. There's so much that I'm so encouraged about. And then I love the question, and I'm so thankful for each leader 
um, on the webinar today that are pushing forward even during a global pandemic because we know COVID-19 did not push pause on the Great Commission. So thank you all so much uh, for continuing to move forward on that. And, and we just want to be a help. So, hey, if you want that free copy of JD's book that we've talked about, be sure to text the word book right now to 888-123. So book to 888-123. And I know we have some of our Canada friends joining on and they were having some issues at first. Those uh, issues should be resolved, all right? So we can get that book to you in Canada as well, all right? So text the word book to 888-123. Also, we want to connect with each one of you help you take your next step, whether that is getting your ministry connected to Jensen or GoTo or just being kept in the loop on all the things we're doing in collegiate evangelism at NAM and the things that are coming up. So if you didn't text in, be sure to do it now or click the link that is in uh, the box as well. And we are super grateful for each of you. We'll be doing a lot more online events like this, aren't we, Paul? So we're excited mm -hmm. about that. We'll get those invites out. We'll be doing that on a regular basis. We have so many, literally so many other exciting plans going up. Paul and I are actually developing a two-year strategy that we'll be rolling out soon that we're so excited about. So, hey, friends, until then, we're thankful for you. We are with you. We are praying for you. Hey, so, hey, anything, seriously, anything we can do to help you, serve you, we are about that for that. So please reach out to, you, to us. Hey, and until then, hey, God bless you. Go tell somebody about Jesus. We'll talk to you and see you soon. Let's go.